John eleven forty five. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. All right, they believed. Believed what? Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one sent by God to redeem God's people. They got it. He's the guy, the key to everlasting life. Listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus as if life now and the life to come depend on it, because they do. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Unfortunately, those lovely people are not the focus of the end of this chapter. They get a blurb. This end, the end of this chapter, focuses on the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and it focuses on those in unbelief. So the news of this miracle has reached the Pharisees. And now maybe they could play off all the other miracles of Jesus, uh, but this one, they absolutely can't. This one is monumental, and they got the message from it. And this isn't a raising of the dead like Elijah or like Elisha. Neither of them said, I am the resurrection and the life. Neither of them said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This guy's on a whole different level. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody else has said that. So the Pharisees, they go to the priests. These are the Sadducees. Now, just as a little aside, the Pharisees of all of the religious leaders of Israel, are actually the most closely aligned with Jesus theologically, right? For the most part, they would be able to get along in a Bible study. However, they become self-righteous and unloving, and they put too much emphasis on the traditions of their forebears. Now, the Sadducees, on the other hand, they're like, they're like the religious, they're like religious Mafia politicians, if you can imagine such a weird bunch. Uh, but they have their own soldiers. They're wealthy, they're influential, they are used to making deals with the Romans, and these people are not to be messed with. And together, Pharisees and Sadducees, amazingly enough, because they hate each other, they have convened the council, the Sanhedrin. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. To dissect this a little bit. What are we to do means we have to do something. Yeah, you do have to do something. What should you guys do? Hmm, how about... Verify the miracle. I bet they did that, like, right now. Soon as somebody said, hey, this guy Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I bet they ran to check on that. So what should they do? Start asking some questions. Is this of God? Maybe bring Jesus in for a meeting. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Maybe follow him as Messiah? No. No. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
Well, and then what? What might people do if they, as a whole, began to believe in Jesus and follow him as if they were their Lord and King? Well, that really depends on whether you are in belief or in unbelief, because those are two completely different perspectives, right? What is the Jewish view of what Messiah would do? He's a conquering king. He's supposed to overthrow the Romans. He's supposed to put us, the Sanhedrin, up on our pedestal where we belong so that we can rule the people as we should. And if that rabble goes out there now with this guy who is clearly not prepared to overthrow the Romans, and they follow him, what's going to happen? The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Their place, Jerusalem, the temple, their authority and their power, what the Romans have left to them, and their nation. They are afraid they could literally cease to be a people group. Now, do the Romans have that kind of power? Well, they sure do. They sure do. Now, unbelief, politically, this is a legitimate concern. It is. But politics, as we know it, usually leaves out a major consideration that believers put in. And that consideration is this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Psalms 127. They don't take into consideration to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Not the Romans and not you. Enter the scene, Caiaphas. Oh, I love this guy. Really nice, down to earth. Not arrogant at all, right? Verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. That's how I like to start a meeting, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Jumping right to the, let's just get to the chase, right? Forget the chase, just jump right to the end. Now, the Pharisees, they will bully, they will mock, they will question, they will try to trick Jesus, they will kick you out of the synagogue right now. The Sadducees, kill him. Religious mafia politicians, kill him. Oh, and if you want to jump to John 12, 10, oh, and because this is a verifiable miracle, kill Lazarus too. What? Yeah, if he comes back to life, kill him again. I don't care. Do what you got to do. Wow. Verse 51. But Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is so cool. Caiaphas prophesied. Did he know he prophesied? Nope. Can God counteract evil to bring about good? 
Thank God. Can he speak even through wicked men? Bringing about his plan while thwarting theirs at the same time? Yeah, he can. Oh, that's so neat. I want, let's think of some other times he's done this. I'm going to give you a couple of my favorites. Genesis 50. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Who's that? Joseph. Joseph. Oh, it's so good. This guy, the prophet Balaam. That's from Numbers 22. Who went out to curse the people of God, but could only bless them. Hey, sorry, guys. I don't know. I open my mouth and good stuff comes out. I don't know. What am I going to do? Love that. And this one, I don't know why this is one of my favorites. This is from Matthew 27, 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Oh, that gives me chills. Oh, did they mean that in a good way? Did God plan it in a good way? Oh, that's so good. Faithful, right? God is faithful. God is graceful. God is merciful. He knows our hearts are wicked and evil. His plans are good. Oh, Isaiah 14, 26 says this, This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Who will turn it back? Not Joseph's brothers, not Balaam, not Caiaphas, not any of Israel's leaders, and not any of the leaders and talking heads of our day either. God's plans are God's plans. Caiaphas and his council, they're planning murder, multiple. God's plan, the Son of God is a sacrifice to redeem mankind. And did anybody else catch the irony of their plan and what happened? Who knows what happened in A.D. 70? By killing Jesus, they actually accomplished the very thing they hoped to avoid. The temple, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're gone. The nation, a remnant, scattered. God's plan, Jew and Gentile enemies, alike, united in faith, by faith in Christ. The temple, now the body of Christ. The priesthood, now all God's children are indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit. It is amazing what we, with human eyes of flesh, look and see and miss. There's another topic I want to address here and then a follow-up question. The topic that got me as I read through this was the astounding phenomenon of unbelief. When they said in verse 47, John eleven forty-seven, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? Boggles my mind. Many signs completely ignored. You know, the end of John, 
Uh, the verse came to me this morning as I was reading this over in John 21. It says, Jesus did so many things that if we were to write them all down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. Gets a very loose paraphrase. I'm not quoting there. How can people be so blind? There are lots of examples in scriptures of this, right? I'm thinking that the one that hops to mind right off the bat is Pharaoh, right? Think of all of the signs that Pharaoh saw. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He's hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. It's interesting. So how about an explanation of unbelief? We actually get an unparalleled explanation in the very next chapter. Uh, Sorry, Scott, I'm going to steal some from the next chapter. Chapter 12, 37 through 41. And John writes this, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And there are two quotes here, and I'm going to read them a little more fully from the two passages in Isaiah. So the first quote comes from Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read 1 through 3. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Is that shocking, a shocking description of the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for? Who has believed? Precious few. God would say the precious few. The next quote comes from Isaiah 6, and I want to read 8 through 13. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah, Here I am, send me. He sounds excited, doesn't he? Very upbeat. And he said, Go and say to these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. I feel like, I I hear God's pain in this. Not, Not angry judgment, I hear his pain. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. God says, Isaiah, go and proclaim truth to my people, to your people. But they're not going to listen to you. Imagine that as a ministry, knowing that right off the bat. Do you still jump into ministry then? Isaiah, here's your life's work. I want you to go and proclaim truth to my people. Yes, Lord, here I am. They're not going to listen to you. Like, for how long? Like, are they not going to listen to me? Like, for the first year, 18 months? 
Morgan. Why? Now, there are several interpretive takes on this, but my opinion is that when God says He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, it's synonymous with they have blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. He gives them what they want. The response of unbelief to the message and miracles of Christ and the message and works of God in Isaiah's day are the same. It shows an incapacity to discern and accept divine things. They can't take it in. They won't take it in. And it seems to only intensify with further revelation. John 1.9 says this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Why? John 3.19 says this, this is the judgment. Here's why. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. There is a hardness of heart which leads to a hardness of head. And it blinds your eyes and it stops up your ears and it causes you to desperately grasp at any other alternative than the obvious one, which is the works of God. Or it causes you to just ignore any signs in the first place as if they never happened at all. Easy to explain. Hard to fathom. And how do we respond to that kind of unbelief as believers? There's only two things we can do. Pray and love. Pray and love. Love and pray. Only God can break through a heart made of stone. But He can Just a quick show of hands. How many people in here had a heart made of stone and God broke it? He does it. So guys, love and pray. Pray and love. Don't give up. Another mystery to be dealt with. I know this is loosely related, but I have a follow-up question. As blind to the revelation and miracles as these people were at the end of this chapter... How did they see themselves? Would they have labeled themselves unbelievers? Pious Jews respected by the people, certainly respected by each other. How would they have defended that accusation of unbelief? Probably would have started off with something like, you know nothing at all. (laughs) That's how Caiaphas likes to start things. They would have said, we're protecting the people. We're protecting Jerusalem. We're keeping the Romans at bay. We keep the ordinance of God and the traditions of the elders. Who are you to question us? I think it would have come out something along those lines. What about Saul before his conversion? What did he think of himself? We have a little picture of that in Philippians 3. Before he met Jesus, this is what he thought. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are all in the same boat. They would have said the same exact thing. Now, Paul does go on to say, though, that he considers after knowing Jesus that all of that is trash. But before meeting Jesus, he didn't think that. So here's the question. The question is, can you be in unbelief and still look like and think that you are a believer? That's another thing that gives me shivers. A couple of verses here. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Where do we stand with the Lord today? Where are we at? What's our walk look like? 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? There's the test right there. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So here's the test for all of us. All of us come to Jesus in different ways, at different times, with different baggage, different backgrounds. Nobody's born into it. You're born again into it. So here's the test. Is Jesus present and actively working in and through you by faith? Is he working in your life? Do you see fruit from him working in you? Do you, are you, does sin convict you? I feel like that's a test we should all take sometimes just to see where we're at. So we're not trying to ride into the kingdom on somebody else's coattails or that we've been given some information that we didn't fully understand. Somebody maybe told you to pray a prayer and that was it. I just pray a prayer and I'm in. Done. Or why are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian because uh, my family are Christians. You don't get to be a believer by association. This is your heart. Another thing to wrestle with. Sorry, I'm making you guys wrestle with me. How does this chapter end? Verse 54, Jesus withdraws. This is the end of his public ministry right here because he poked the Sadducees. <laughs> this is the beginning of the end of his earthly ministry. The Sadducees and the Pharisees have given orders. If anyone knows where Jesus is, they should inform them immediately so that they might arrest him. And Matthew 26 gives us a little more information. They say, arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Keep it quiet. But God's plan is to make it much more public than that. And both groups, believers and unbelievers, are both dreading and hoping to see what the final outcome of Jesus' life will bring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you do for us. God, you give us things to see with our hearts. Help our heads to see them as well. Help our eyes to see your hand at work in this world, our ears to hear the things that you have to say, Lord, not only through you, 
but Lord, by the power of your spirit through others. We love you, we trust you. Lord, bring the people in our lives who we believe to be in unbelief to our minds that we might pray for them and we might love them with your love. And Lord, I pray that we would test our own faith, that we would look to make sure, Lord, that Jesus, you are the the King, you are the Lord and Savior of our life. Lord God, that you are the Lord, our righteousness. Help us to go through that struggle of faith, Lord, and come out on the other side rejoicing because all of our hope and all of our trust is in you. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.